The following program is a podcast1.com production. I'm so glad you're with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make on the web at Clark.com. You want deals? ClarkDeals.com. You got a question for me? Clark.com slash ask. Coming up in 20 minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment, one company made a lot of money by letting their customers get ripped off. That's about to change. I'm going to fill you in, and there's great advice for you, no matter who you do business with. And later this hour, price war. I love that term. Auto parts are about to get cheaper. It's great news for you if you like to keep your baby running. You're going to be able to do so at a lower cost. Speaking of lower cost, now that all of the big four cell phone companies have gone non-contract, people are getting real sticker shock when you want to get a new phone. The cost of the premium phones The hottest-to-get phone in the world is the Pixel. You may have seen ads for it. It's Google's own phone, and people are paying over a grand right now to get a Pixel, which is kind of unbelievable. It's a nice phone, but that's a lot of money. And the iPhone 7 series, which is topping out at right about $1,000, And that is the flagship price, Samsung, about the same. And so there are people who can drop $1,000 without really thinking about it. There are people who could drop $1,000 but won't because they're too smart to do that. And then there are people who are not ever going to waste money like that on a smartphone. So now that you're actually paying... The real price, and then the monthly service for your cell phone service is much cheaper as a result. You're the one in charge with the phone. So I wanted to tell you what are some of the popular choices that people are buying to make the cost of the phone when you need a new one more affordable. The number one in demand out there is the Moto G4. From Amazon, the Moto G4, exclusive for Prime members of Amazon, is $149. It is a very full-featured Android phone that runs what's known as nearly pure Android, and it works for all the major networks, Verizon, T-Mobile, Sprint, AT&T. It works for all of them at $149. If you're not an Amazon Prime member, you can buy the Moto G4 elsewhere. It goes on sale at a similar price, maybe $20 more than what it is from Amazon. If you're a Prime member, you get annoyed with ads, but it's not a terrible annoyance with ads when you bring your phone live each time trying to get you to buy stuff from Amazon. If you want to stay in the Apple orbit and not spend a fortune There are so many iPhone 6s and 6Ss that are available in the marketplace. You look at eBay or you look at any other selling site. There are 
a zillion of them available. I'm looking at just one top-rated plus seller on eBay, and they've sold just under 2,000 iPhone 6s just for the T-Mobile network. And it shows network by network how many they've sold generally at a price of about 200 and change to get an iPhone 6 used or reconditioned. These are reconditioned I'm looking at, refurbished, whatever. And so if you are someone who prefers the iPhone, but the idea of spending $1,000 or 900 on an iPhone is just something you can't put up with, look at buying one that's a model back or two that nobody wants well, they didn't want it anymore. You will have a hopefully a good life with that phone at a much more affordable price. If you want brand new, there's huge buzz in all the techie blogs about the Honor 6X. The Honor 6X is a smartphone that's a same size screen as like the iPhone 7 Plus and comes with two-day battery life, has a fantastic camera in it, runs on Android, if I didn't say that, it's $250 brand new. And the Asus Zenfone, which comes in various versions and gets great reviews, depending on the model you get, $150, $200, $250 for that phone. The point is that there are fantastic smartphones you can get, and I could give you many other examples, that are in the price range of $150 to $300. And then you're not stuck in those lousy, stinking, rotten contracts. Thank goodness they have gone the way of the dodo bird. And that you also are not laying out a massive amount of money. I love the phones that work on any network because then you're free to move your service from one network to another as you choose or wish. And the phone you have moves with you. I think that's great. Charlene's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Charlene. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Good, you're going to my old home, Washington, D.C.? I am, or I'm hoping to be anyway. <laughs> All right, when are you thinking of going to D.C.? The first week of June. Okay, well, you're it's, you're going just before everybody decides to leave Washington. Okay. Because Washington's that, really funny in the summer. It gets invaded by tourists. But everybody who works there leaves. It's almost like you're in Paris. Everybody who can leaves, and the town then is reoccupied by the vacationers. How long are you going to go to D.C. for? We'll be there for probably a week. Really? Wow, that's a pretty long time. Well, I've never been, and my 10-year-old little girl has never been, and so I want to take her to Washington, D.C., and see what we can see, and 
you know, have a good time. Well, the population of Washington turns over so fast. A week there may make you almost a native. <laughs> no, so, I don't want to be a native now. <laughs> so how can I be of help with this trip? I was wondering when a good time would be to book a hotel room. I'm kind of on a budget. I don't want to stay in D.C. I want to stay out of D.C. next to the metro or whatever they call their little train. Their little train is the metro, and it's fantastic for tourists because you can get around so quickly on the metro. And so I think you'll be very happy with staying somewhere on the metro corridor. And what that does, you're so right, is it opens up so many more possibilities of areas you can stay that will be more affordable for you potentially than staying right in town. So mm-hmm. I, I think that you will pay less than you might imagine if you book the Clark Smart way. You know how that is? No, sir, I don't. That would be on Hotwire or Priceline. Hotwire or Priceline. Yeah, and by the way, I'm looking right now on Priceline for a week in June, and there's an area in the city called DuPont Circle, which is uh, okay. which puts you walking distance to a lot of places. So just throwing away everything we just talked about, about having to stay out where the metro is. This may be more than you're looking at spending, but I just wanted to tell you what kind of deal I'm seeing already for early June. A four-and-a-half-star hotel that has an 8 out of 10 guest rating, meaning that people love staying there. And Uh it's showing right now at 126 a night, which is actually very cheap to be right in the core of the city. What kind of budget are you looking to spend per night? Um, a little less than that. How much less? (laughs) Um, I was hoping not to go over $100 a night. Okay, so you will be in the suburbs if you do that. And looking on Priceline, the cheapest rooms available right now are about $75 a night. Okay. But you'll probably experience that the rooms will get cheaper closer to when you're going to go in June. So, really? Yeah, so you don't want to book far in advance because what happens with Priceline and Hotwire is hotels that realize they're not going to be full will, from moderately to heavily, discount their room rates. Okay. And the way it works is you won't know the name of the hotel, but you'll know the star level, and you'll also know if it's a hotel that others have really liked. And if you stick to one that's a three-star level that has a guest approval rating of eight or higher... You'll end up doing mm-hmm. great. And I have a guide at Clark.com that walks you through how to book a hotel room, not just in Washington, D.C., but anywhere in the world, step-by-step, step, how to get the best savings. And I think you'll end up getting a very nice place that will be well-located, and you'll be able to stay in double digits per night and not any higher than that. So I hope that you have a great week in dc david's with us on the clark howard show hi david 
Uh, hi, Clark. Uh, first of all, thank you for taking my call and, and your show and what you do. I'm looking for some advice. My daughter and I have been informally uh, doing a pet care business. We go to people's homes when they leave on vacation, take care of their animals and any ancillary things like picking up mail and so forth. But looking for ways to promote this, make this a more formal occupation and, and perhaps a full-time uh, occupation. And we we'll welcome your ideas. I believe that the strongest thing you can do with a pet sitting business is have a pet sitting blog. An advice block that people are always in search of, hey, what do we do? You know, people have from you, you see it. There are people who have just not strong connections to their pets and other people that they're intense about them like they would be with children. And so you're looking for the people that are intense about it, who want to make sure that their pet is going to be well taken care of while they're away. And so putting together an advice blog where you're not touting your own business, but you're touting your expertise. And you're telling people, no matter where they live, how to pick somebody to take care of their pets, what kind of questions they should ask, where you are the expert. And you use that as a platform to build up trust and interest and recognition of your own business. Okay. So you okay. do it indirectly. I think that when you're running a service business where it's so hard for people to know who to trust and where to go, that when you, instead of saying, hey, use us, use us, use us, instead you say, here's advice, here's information, here's guidance, here's what's likely uh, the price points you should be looking at. And these are the choices available with various sorts of pet setting services, and you answer people's questions and throw out the guidance through social media, that's how I think you're going to attract a very loyal following, and indirectly, but ultimately with a real strong connection, a customer base that would grow and grow and grow. Just my opinion. It's time for today's Clark Rages moment that has in it A warning and welcome news for a lot of people who got ripped off by scams that directed you to Western Union to wire money. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rages moment. Western Union is now paying restitution back to people who got scammed sending money at Western Union. They're going to pay just under $600 million in restitution to a huge number of people who got taken where scamsters said, you got to wire money right now. And the reason Western Union agreed to the settlement is they did not have in place policies where their employees fully aware that, let's say, an elderly person was being scammed thinking they want to lottery overseas or whatever that they just were under orders to just send the money and do nothing you may remember i praised a western union employee who kept an elderly person from being ripped off and i don't know if that person ended up getting fired for that or what because you know it costs western union money when the wires aren't sent but the reality is it, even if it's not clear to the elderly victims, 
it was clear as day to the employees wiring money that the people were being scammed. So Western Union has reached the settlement with the federal government and will be paying restitution. Their quote is, we are committed to enhancing our compliance programs to prevent illicit activity on our network and protect our customers who transfer money. End of quote. Thank goodness. What you need to know is the scams keep going on. I just talked about another ugly money transfer scam yesterday. You need to be your own police officer and verify before you send money. You know, there's one thing in life you can't put a price on, a good night's sleep. You know, if you're not sleeping well, everything during the next day is difficult. Everything. That's why you need a great mattress like Casper. Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. That's because they sell directly to you. They are the ones who invented the online mattress business. A Casper mattress comes with supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep surface. It has just the right sink and just the right bounce. If you don't believe me, check out their over 20,000 reviews with an average of 4.8 stars. That's on Casper, Amazon, and Google. They offer you free shipping and returns in the U.S. and Canada. Plus, they let you try a Casper mattress for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. And if you don't love it, they will pick it up and refund you everything you spent. Come on, for too many years, the mattress industry has forced people into paying notoriously high markup prices. Casper revolutionized that industry. And along with the mattress, they also offer an adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets. They want to make your night the perfect night's sleep. So try it at no risk for 100 nights. Check out their prices. They are ridiculously affordable. And if you're going to buy today, make sure you go to casper.com business because you'll get $50 towards any mattress purchase. That's casper.com business. And once you're there, use promo code business. Casper.com business, promo code business. Terms and conditions apply. Come on, get yourself the perfect night's sleep. Go to casper.com slash business. Use that promo code business, and you'll get $50 off your first mattress, which won't be the last mattress you buy from Casper. I'm so glad you're here at the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our web address. You got a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. Another industry is about to go through a market share war, a price war, and the instigator, Amazon. Amazon, looking for new worlds to conquer, is now going after the auto parts business. Auto parts business has been a fairly sleepy part of the automotive market. There are a handful of chains that account for the overwhelming number of sales of parts to people that fix their own cars, people that nurse a car along, keep it on the road. Because we talk so much on the show about new cars, buying used cars just a few years old, but there's a big significant part of the market where people drive a car as just transportation and keep it running even when other people may have tired of it because cars generally we tire out of them before they're tired out the average age of a car in the united states is 11 years so remember that's the average 
So there are a lot of cars older than that. So parts to keep them running, very important. So somehow it leaked a couple of days ago to the New York Post that Amazon had decided their next big market was going to be auto parts. And when the stock market opened this week, the stock values of all the parts companies, you know, the retail sellers of auto parts, all dropped like a rock. Because now you got somebody who's so aggressive in Amazon, they don't care how much money they lose when they first build market share. And the best estimate is that they are going to ultimately sell as much as $5 billion in auto parts this year. So it means that if you are a do-it-yourselfer, car repair kind of guy or woman, that you're going to want to pay attention to the couponing that's going to be taking place, the loyalty program discounts are going to be available through your favorite auto parts supplier, and price comparison, price shopping, price matching is going to be very important this year for the stuff that you need to keep your ailing car running and get it healthy again. Now, give you an idea, when Amazon directs its sights on a business, how much a disruptor it is. This year is the year that Amazon is expected to be the number one seller of clothing in the United States. It doesn't even occur to me. It's never occurred to me. I've never even considered buying an item of clothing from Amazon. I don't think anybody in my family ever has. But before this year is out, by the end of 2017, they're probably going to be the number one seller of clothing. And the thing with Amazon is, I've emphasized with you in the past, they will cut prices as much as they have to to develop a market share in a business. And when the others reach a point that they become the weaklings and Amazon the strong one, Amazon raises prices and keeps raising prices to where they're not a deal anymore, but people are in the habit of buying from them. So you got to understand Amazon's game. And when they're trying to get market share, that's when you want to be a buyer. Once they have the market share, you really need to say, nice knowing you, Amazon. I now buy that category somewhere else. Bobby's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Bobby. Hey, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you. You're trying to get your first credit card. Is that true? I am indeed, yeah. So I've been saving a lot of money the past few years, and finances are looking great, but I don't have any credit history. I applied for a a major credit card through a major bank, but got declined for that credit card because I have no history. So I've been getting a lot of advice from a lot of different people and a lot of different places saying a lot of different things, and it's kind of confusing to try to figure out. So I'm sort of calling up for some advice on, on what I should be looking for with a first credit card. So if you've never had a credit card and yeah. you you don't have any history with car loans or personal loans or any loans at all, is that right? None. All right. So you're starting from scratch. You're going to have to do some heavy lifting to establish that first credit. And it's okay. it's more work than it should have to be, but 
if you it's one of those things if you don't have history how do you get history the way you do exactly. it is you need to either go my first preferred choice is to go to a credit union are you a member of a credit union yet um i am not but there are several in my area that i could go look at because a number of credit unions have what are known generally under, it's not a trade name, it's kind of the general category, what are known as fresh start programs, where okay. you can establish an account uh, membership with a credit union. And what they do with those programs is you put money on deposit with the credit union in a credit union CD or savings account. And then that establishes okay. your eligibility for a Visa or MasterCard. And the limit on okay. the card is somehow loosely tied in to what you put on deposit in savings or in a CD. And then they'll have like okay. a, a schedule that if you pay the bill on time, month after month, they gradually move you from having to have that CD or savings account to just having a credit card with no restrictions. The advantage of the Fresh Start programs at a credit union versus what you might have heard from people about secured cards. Did anybody mention a secured mm-hmm. card to you? I have heard about those, yes. All right. So the difference is the credit union cards generally are not considered to be secured cards. They're just a regular okay. Visa or MasterCard, but the credit union is protected by the money you have on deposit with them as a member. A secured card, okay, sure. secured cards are issued by... Uh, banks of various sizes, and with a secured card, you specifically give them money that is equal to the credit limit they're willing to grant you, and they have possession of your money as a security deposit, if you will, like you would have if you went to rent an apartment, and then depending Mm -hmm. on the secured card, after 12 or 18 months of on-time payments, they then transition you to a regular credit card. Uh, okay. The problem with the secured card programs is they have uh, usually very high annual fees. And, oh, okay. And you've got the time period you have to wait, and usually the way they're reporting the card to credit bureaus is under a status that lets the credit bureaus know that it's a secured card and not a full, real Visa or MasterCard. Ah, okay. Yeah, my bank tried to to get me to sign up for one of those, um, but I did see that it had quite a high interest rate, so I was sort of shying away from it. So this is one of those areas where if you find a credit union that has one of these programs near you, it's a vastly superior way to establish your first credit. Okay, fresh start program at a credit union. I will definitely look into that. Thank you. Yeah, there's one other option I'll mention just briefly, and that is... If you have a family member who's willing to add you Mm -hmm. to their credit card account, Mm -hmm. and that would give you the ability to establish credit um, in the fastest way possible. And depending on the issuer of credit cards, some will only extend you as what's known as an authorized user. Others will make you a co-owner. Co-owner status is what's really best for you. And it would allow you immediately to establish a credit record and credit history with a major credit card. Your family member can sign you up for it, but then not give you possession of the card. 
so they don't have to worry about, well, what you might do with the card. But any of the methods will get you pretty quickly to where you have that established credit history. And then after that, it's just up to you how you handle it. Doug is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Doug. Hey, Clark. Nice to talk with you. Well, great to have you here, Doug. You have an idea you want to share. Is that right? Yes. Um, you know, talking about credit unions, I'm a credit officer at a credit union. And uh, one of the things I see very frequently, which really irks me, and I think it irks you too, is people whose credit has been really damaged by, say, a $25 medical collection. Uh, I've seen that really impact people's scores by almost 100 points before. And a lot of times they're not even aware of it. So my idea is to have collection companies and businesses, before they would file any derogatory uh, collection information on an account, would be to be required to post like a 30-day heads-up on the credit report so that people that at least monitor their credit reports could see that. Because a lot of times uh, the, the notices may get sent out to the wrong address or whatever, but at least for folks that are monitoring their credit, they might see that 30 days heads up and at least give them a chance to fix something before it becomes an item. You know, under the, the I don't I don't know if at your credit union you're using the new FICO scoring model, but under the newest one, if somebody has a medical collection that they pay off, it essentially wipes the slate clean. Right. Once it's paid off, right. I'm just saying, like, in the process of going through all that, and sometimes it can take months to clear that off. So if somebody's in the middle of a mortgage or a car application, that's kind of a bad time to find out that there's a book there that you weren't aware of. Isn't it terrible? And do you know that um, I've heard, and you would be better able to reflect this, that roughly half of collections on credit reports are medical? Uh it wouldn't surprise me if it's even higher. It seems to be the numbers a lot. You know, the ones I see is a little bit higher than that. And, and the balances are usually fairly low. They're a lot of times under $100. Well, it's because they're balance bills. You know, somebody goes somewhere, they pay their copay, they think they're done, and then some kind of stray, weird balance bill is generated that is never sent to the insured. And then before you know it, it ends up in collection. Right. So, you know, just curious if you uh, or any listeners had any thoughts about, you know, forcing some of these companies to be able to post a heads up or something. To give the notification before an item goes on the report. Right. And if if the notification goes on the report instead of through the mail, at least somebody might be monitoring that. So this came up with, you know, we do a message board called Clark Stinks. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's where when people are unhappy with me, they post what they're unhappy about. And we had an office manager from a radiology practice who had posted when I was complaining about the medical collection items. And what she said in her Clark Stinks was that they don't even know how to find the the person who has a bill for the radiologist reading the um, whatever it was, the the MRI or X-ray or whatever it was that they're right. doing the, the read report on. And so they don't have any other way of getting their money other than turning it over to a collection agency then goes out and tries to find the person who owes the money. So I don't know why that's a Clark stinks. It's more like medical billing stinks. Right, Absolutely. So I, I appreciate what you're asking, because I'm sure it's frustrating for you over and over again trying to help a member uh, 
secure that car loan or mortgage, and then you run into a brick wall because of something they didn't even know was there. Yes. I've actually had that happen to me personally as well, so I'm, I, I, I empathize with Well, I'm I'm interested in your thought about a notification period before an item goes on collection. I'd love to hear from others, Doug, if they have an idea how a strategy or suggestion, because the UFO kind of bill that comes out of nowhere is, even though medical may only be half of the collection items, it seems the ones that just come out of nowhere that people don't know about, it's virtually 100% medical. And we do need some procedure like you're suggesting so that people will know because it's not a matter most of the time of somebody being able to pay a $38 bill. is they don't know that $38 bill even exists. Douglas is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Douglas, I can't believe you're asking me this question. Somebody asked me this question at the studio about 90 minutes ago. Walking down the hall. You got an Amica Mutual question for me that is, it's a puzzle for me. Hit me with it. That's correct. Well, basically, a year ago, I signed up with Amica, and now it's time to renew. And I'm wondering if I still need to uh, search around, you know, and check out other companies. Or, I mean, since, I mean, I know you always recommend them. So. Do I do I still look around for something better, or do I stick with Amica? You know, this is the difficult thing, and this is why the question is so hard to answer. So you have two insurers in the United States for auto and homeowners that, in surveys going back, gosh, now I guess decades, are absolutely the two best in, insurers for home and auto in America. And the it doesn't matter who's surveying. These two are at the top, Amica Mutual. For people who can't understand my addiction, it's Amica, A-M-I-C-A Mutual. And then for people that have military background, USAA. And so they're both so extraordinary, and they may or may not be cheaper than others or the cheapest. But they're so good if you have a problem where you have a claim or issues you need to deal with, that I will share something with you. The cheapest person alive I know is me, or maybe my oldest brother. And Douglas, I have been with USAA since 1976, I guess. Wow. And I don't comparison shop. Okay. And they're, they're so extraordinary as a company that I don't even worry about if their premium is higher than being with another very inferior auto or homeowner's insurer. Right. So that's the challenge. If money matters more than anything, if money's really tight in your life and you want to go see if you can get a cheaper premium and that's your higher priority, then I think go shop the auto or homeowner's. But if it really is about being with who's best, without question, without doubt, Amica Mutual is extraordinary. You know, you own the place, right? Correct. I mean, when you have your insurance with Amica Mutual, you are an owner of Amica Mutual. Everything they're about, everything they do, 
is to serve you, the member of the organization. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports this podcast. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust, someone who's got your best interests in mind. And with Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in just minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure that you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. So whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank. Skip the waiting. Go completely online at quickenloans.com slash save. That's quickenloans.com slash S-A-V-E. Let Rocket Mortgage help you get the exact mortgage solution that you need. Go to quickenloans.com slash save. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Everybody knows that February is the shortest month of the year. But at Podcast One, we aren't taking any breaks. We've got a boatload of new shows coming your way this month. Like two from Forbes, Under 30, and The List. Or Postmortem with Mick Garris. And Clipcast, the official unofficial podcast of the LA Clippers. But we're not done. Still to come this month, The Raven Effect from Pro Wrestler Raven. A little bit of Growing the Dynasty with Jeff and Jessica Robertson. Plus, in upcoming weeks, shows from Kim Zolchak, Dina Tori Spelling, The Retronauts, and many more. To get more details, go to podcastone.com now. Podcastone.com. I'm glad you're with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our website. When you have a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. And if you like deals, you'll love ClarkDeals.com, where we post deals through the day guess every day of the year now we got people working like day and night finding the best deals for you out there and coming up a half hour from now deal or no deal people promising that with the delays and tax refunds this year that they can get you your refund almost right away i'll tell you the real story the real scoop it's going to surprise you I want to talk right now about the issue of you having an opportunity to go see the world, except for a teensy tiny detail that could be a problem. This year, airfares from the United States around the world are the lowest they've been in memory. I mean, you got to go way back, maybe 2002 was the last time airfares around the world were as cheap as they are right now. The deal's just extraordinary. I had somebody ask me the other day, do you mean each way? And I said, no, that's a round-trip fare. Then they said some words I can't repeat on radio. And so the bargains are extreme because the airlines put too many seats out there And then there's more and more discount service, discount airlines flying international routes. And the overall effect for you is that the airfares are fantastic. At the same time that the U.S. dollar is extremely strong, especially in Europe, with the value of the euro, the value of the pound, so much better for us as Americans that things are much cheaper than in recent years. 
But then there's a little problem. The passport. U.S. passport office has put out a warning that they are really behind on issuing passports. It's going to take a long time to issue them and that you have got to plan in advance. What happens if you find a deal and you realize your passport's expired or about to? Did you know a lot of countries require that you still have six months' time left on your U.S. passport the day you arrive in their country? Rules are different for each place you might visit. So you have a passport that's still valid but doesn't have the six months on it. So you got to prepare for that. So what I want you to know is if you have a passport and you can't remember the last time you traveled outside the country and you don't know when it's valid to, go dig it out. Go look and see when your passport's going to croak. And if it's less than six months out, go ahead and replace it. This time of year, you don't have to wait as long as you do as you move, let's say, into March and later when the waits for passports could be months long. Because if you need one quicker, you are at the mercy of paying a lot more money to get your passport. And in a handful of cities, you can go to a passport office and waste a day waiting to get a passport right away if it's an absolute emergency. But who wants to do all that? Pay the extra money, be inconvenienced, so make sure your passport is, in fact, up to date. And there are a number of countries that are a deal right now, especially in Asia, that you have to obtain a visa to go to those countries. And the visa can be expensive. The Chinese visa, I think, is like $150, something like that. Um, big money. And it takes a while. And they might turn you down, depending on who you are. It's been a problem for me. But anyway, um, if you show up at the airport and you don't have the visa done, you don't get to go. doesn't matter what you paid for, what's non-refundable, all that. So get these things right. Make sure your passport is alive and well and that You verify, in state.gov, you can see the State Department website. You can see the briefing and what the rules are for each country you want to visit as an American as to whether or not you do need to obtain a visa ahead of time. Ron is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Ron. Hey, Clark. How Uh, you doing? Good, good. How are you? Great, thank you. And I'm glad to see you've been saving money. I, I have, yes. Uh, first of all, I'm a big fan of yours, and I'd like to thank you and your entire team for all the advice that you give. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so, um, I have about 8000 um saved up, and I now have the option of putting it either into a Roth for myself and my spouse, or I can pay towards my mortgage so I can get rid of my PMI. So, Ooh. my question is, what do I do? Are you close enough to being able to dump the PMI that if you pay the 8000 towards the mortgage, you'll be able to dump PMI? Well, I think so, because the loan document states that uh, if I reach 20%, I can at least request it. Okay. So there will be a direct advantage to getting rid of PMI. How much is your PMI a month? 
think it's about 125 and I, I think it expires in 2019. So that's that's a tremendous advantage. So let's say you take $8,000, it reduces the balance on your mortgage, that $8,000 never accrues interest again, plus at the same time you're removing a payment of a hundred and something dollars every month towards PMI. That is such a favorable return on your money. I would say that that trumps putting the money into a Roth IRA for you and your spouse. Okay. But before you do it, you need clearly from your mortgage servicer what they're going to require from you to remove PMI. Because what I'd hate is for you to pay eight thousand dollars towards principal on your loan and then they say nah nah you didn't make it we're not going to do it okay so you want to have a clear understanding of the path that they're going to require for you to remove the private mortgage insurance all right i guess i'll review my loan documents call them ask them and then think of this okay every month you can take a hundred and some odd dollars that would have been going towards PMI, and you can automatically put that amount of money into your Roth IRA. And it will be free money because it was an expense you already had that suddenly is money that is available to you every month. Okay. Sounds like a plan. I love this. That was a really good idea you have, Ron. Christopher's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Christopher. Hey, Clark, how are you? Great, thank you, Christopher. You are a a business owner, is that right? Uh, Yes, I published my own book. Great, and so you're you're selling your book to people at events, or you're selling by mail order, or how are you selling? Um, Well, the the company I have uh, published through offers it in all retail locations and and online and stuff, but um, their strategy for me making my money back the fastest is for me to, uh, I guess, do a lot of the legwork and sell it locally. Okay. And what's the retail of your book? Uh, the retail is sixteen forty nine. Okay. How can I help? Well, I was interested in getting a uh, mobile card reader device that I could take with me um, to charge people that obviously won't be paying in cash. And I just... I looked up a little bit of it, and there's a lot of information out there, and I was wondering if you could help uh, point me in the right direction. I'd say that it would be exactly the right one to use to use Square Up. Okay. Did you read about the Square device? Uh, yeah, I did browse over that when I was looking through, but that's that's your recommendation? Yeah, let me tell you why that one. And that's why I asked you what your ticket is. Your ticket's, you know, $16.50. So... If you were to set up merchant agreement, traditional merchant agreement, you're going to have to pay potentially monthly minimums, maybe monthly fees, and with the typical uh, merchant agreement, you're going to have to pay a percent plus a per transaction charge. So with Square Up, you're going to pay 2.75%, and so we're talking about, uh, let's say it's what is that, about 40, 47 cents on your book? Okay. I think that's about right. 
And so that would, I did that in my head. So, so I'm sorry if I'm way off base. But anyway, you're able with it to have no minimums, no fees, and just the straight commission that they take for every swipe that you make. And they have the device that you, that you attach to your smartphone. And so you're able, wherever you are, you don't have to worry about having a data line or anything like that. You just run that thing. And so since card's present, you don't have any other junk fees or anything like that. Awesome. That sounds great. Thank you. Sure. And I hope you sell a lot of books. (laughs) Me too. Okay. Ashley's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Ashley. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Ashley, you've got a question for me. Let's see if I can help you with. Yes, um, I'm hiring a virtual assistant to help me with some of my mundane tasks, such as paying for my laundry, maybe groceries and things like that. But it's through Upwork, and I know that you know they're qualified people, but I want to be able to give her an ability to pay for something without risking credit scores, um, violating my credit card agreement, and things like that, while minimizing my risk, too. So you're going to give this person the ability to make payments but you want to make sure they don't destroy your credit and at the same time limit access that this individual would have to your funds. Absolutely. Okay, I've got something I like for that. And I've only one other time have I suggested it in a situation something like yours, but it seemed to fit, and it's called Bluebird. Have you ever heard of Bluebird? No. If you look at Bluebird.com, it is a payment system that is a joint venture of American Express and Walmart. And so Mm -hmm. you're able to issue a Bluebird account to this individual, and they can do uh, bill payment for you. They can do transactions on the card. You can see every transaction that's happening. And here's the best part. You control the flow of money into the Bluebird account. So exactly you put in, you put in it only the money that you need this assistant to have to do the transactions that you need them to pay for and take care of. Great. That's exactly what I it meets exactly my requirements. So thank you. And the other thing with Bluebird, read through all the all the ways it works. As long as you jump through all the right hoops with Bluebird, you'll pay no fees at all to have this oh, as great. an account for this assistant. Perfect. Now, your only risk is, let's say you do run into a problem with this individual, and you have, let's just say for argument's sake, you've got $300 in the Bluebird account at that time, mm-hmm. and so you decide you got to let this person go because... They're not performing well, or they have not proven to be trustworthy or whatever. The last amount of money you have on deposit that they have access to may well be at risk. Absolutely. So, but you would know you would know the amount, and it would be capped by the amount that you have put in there that you've trusted them with. Yes, and that's a risk I'm willing to take up to you know a certain dollar value. Okay, so it is of the possibilities. It's it's number one.
for what you're trying to accomplish. And I hope that you find that it works well for you. If it turns out that Bluebird's a bust, I need to know that so I can take that information into account next time I might talk about it. It's time for Ask Clark, where you post a question for me at Clark.com that our producer, Joel, asks. And Joel, who's up? Clark got a question from Marty. She says, one of my credit cards keeps asking for my annual income. They say it has to do with setting my credit limit. I don't feel comfortable giving that information out, though. Is there any downside or upside to giving them this info? So what they're doing is there was a, a clear pattern that was established that people who had paid credit cards on time every month, at least the minimum, suddenly would default out. And people would end up with a situation where they were financially wheezing. So a lot of banks now want you to verify your income or at least self-state your income so they can say, ooh, okay, we're worried about how much credit you have available or, oh, you got that much income? Let's give you more credit. So you might have thought that was always part of the process, like it is with a mortgage, but often it has not been with credit cards. I don't have a problem answering that question. All right. Hunter wants to know, are there better phone and Wi-Fi rates than what the cruise line offers direct? Okay. So the phone rates, the key with the phone, never use your phone on the cruise ship to make a phone call because the rates, the marine rates to call from a cruise ship to a landline are astronomical what you should do is you buy the wi-fi from the ship and from time to time the cruise line will offer a deal on the wi-fi and they tend to send you offers before your cruise offering you a better deal but they have a monopoly on the service but you download apps like viber v-i-b-e-r that allow you over the ship's Wi-Fi to communicate with people. And if you get the people on land back home to download the Viber app, you can make free phone calls over the ship Wi-Fi that otherwise making a regular phone call could be as much as $5 a minute. So doing the apps that you can like WhatsApp or any of those on your phone is the best way to save money to communicate with others off the ship. Okay, here are some really surprising car facts for you. In Churchill, Canada, residents leave their cars unlocked. That's in case someone needs to escape a polar bear. It's true. And in Sweden, drivers are required by law to keep their headlights on at all times. Day, night, rain, sunshine, doesn't matter. And now, here's another interesting and actually helpful thing about cars that you might not know. True car also helps people get used cars. That's right. TrueCar isn't just for new cars. Their certified dealer network also has an inventory of over 700,000 pre-owned cars nationwide. So whether you're looking for a new or used car, you can get real pricing on actual inventory and a better buying experience through the TrueCar certified dealer network. Oh yeah, here's another fun fact. TrueCar customers can see if they're getting a good or great price before they buy. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with their TrueCar certified dealers. So when you're ready to buy that car, new or used, visit TrueCar and enjoy a better car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Stay tuned for 60 seconds of AP News headlines right after this podcast. (laughs) 
great you're here with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you learning ways to save more and spend less. Don't let anybody ever rip you off. Clark.com is our website. You want deals? ClarkDeals.com. And questions? We got answers. Where do you go? Clark.com slash ask. I've been hearing people uh, aggravated, annoyed about the delay, and I talked about this on the show recently, the delay that tens of millions of taxpayers are going to see getting refunds this year. And the reason is, is an anti-fraud measure. There's been so much tax fraud in recent years that is costing all of us collectively as taxpayers uh, you know, tons of money, maybe $15 billion last year is one estimate. And there used to be a product that was very popular called refund anticipation loans. Refund anticipation loans were a terrible ripoff. A tax preparation service would say, well, you can have your refund in three days or less and just sign here. But they would be charging you an effective interest rate usually of 200 to 600% to get your refund quicker than you would get it from the IRS. Well, this year, this is a stunner, and I wasn't aware of this till I read this on a Consumer Reports post. The three big tax preparation firms where you go in person to do your taxes are offering an advance on your federal tax refund with no fee. The idea is to get you to come in person to do your taxes. And the reason that's become important is more and more taxpayers are doing their own taxes using tax prep software, like all the ones I've talked about that we've got links to at Clark.com, where you can do your tax return for free, the preparation and the filing for free. So now the more traditional way of going and sitting with a human at H&R Block or at Jackson Hewitt or Liberty Tax, which I guess are the big three of the storefront tax prep firms, they are now allowing these refund advances that you don't pay for. H&R Block, I had never heard of this. H&R Block offering up to $12.50 per return and Liberty and Jackson Hewitt up to 1300 per return. And the only thing is, you've got to have them do your taxes. So you'll pay them to prepare your taxes. And the way it works is the portion of your tax refund that they advance to you is diverted to the tax prep firm. You get the net remaining. So let's say you had a a $2,000 refund coming and they advanced you $1,300, you would net from the IRS a $700 check later, however much later that is, and the tax prep firm gets their $1,300 back that they advanced to you. So, wow, how about that? And listen to this from Jackson Hewitt. If they messed up on preparing your return and they have given you a larger advance 
than what your refund should have been, they eat that difference. That is a crazy guarantee. So this is something I was all prepared when I started reading about uh, advances on refunds to be outraged, to be Clark raged, to be yet another ripoff raged about with taxpayers. And I'm wrong. It's a deal. It's nice to be wrong on something like that. Michelle is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Michelle. Hi, how are you today? Great, thank you, Michelle. You want to talk about the day when you don't have to go to work. Well, yeah, hopefully. (laughs) I'm trying to get all my ducks in a row anyways, and I'm just kind of, as much research as you do, I think you end up even more confused than when you first started. Well, anytime you look at information on investing and saving for retirement, it can get overwhelming pretty quickly, and very, very wise people can give very reasoned advice that can be directly in conflict with each other. Mm-hmm. That's what I you found, that. isn't it? <laughs> yes, exactly. Correct. Well, let's see if I can unwind the confusion and give you some clear direction. Okay, sounds like a plan. Um, so I'm, I'm married with no kids. Um, my husband and I have just separate accounts. It's just what works for us. Um we have sold our house and right now currently living in an apartment. I have There's just some funds that I have in a checking account um, that is literally not doing anything. Um, together, we have a money market account. Again, it just it's $17 at the end of six years of having that money put aside, so it's not doing anything. Um, my personal savings uh, is upwards of, let's say it's $12,000 that is just sitting in a checking account. Um, I know that I can be doing something different than just having it sit there. So I just don't know, um, with the fact that a potential buying a house within the next year or two or potentially even building a home, I don't want to put too much in the, fa- in the sense that I, I won't have access to it for a potential down payment. All right. That's, that's some priorities conflicting there because you have the need to pop money into a new house at some point maybe mm-hmm. relatively soon, and then you've got the far, far later that you're sitting there saying, clock ticks, I have no money saved for that. That's pretty much um, it, right? In a sense, yes. I mean, it's not something that, as this money is just, it's just savings for me at this stage. Okay. Um, so that's, that's, I don't know, do I utilize that for the potential down payment, do I start to find a different investment avenue on top of the 401k that I currently have with my company? Oh, you didn't even um, say that. How much have well, you been sorry. able to save in the 401k? <laughs> I've only started it. Um, I, I put It's $200 a month that I'm able to put in, and they match me at 20% at this stage. Um, I have about, it's up to, I'll say, 15000 right now. Okay, um, and how much more can you put in that they'll still match with the twenty percent? That's what. Uh, that's going to be more. Uh, I have to sit down and actually chat with the company about that. Um, it comes directly out of a paycheck. I am a waitress, um, so that's what I felt comfortable having fifty dollars a week getting taken out because it's a guarantee that I can cover that. That's wonderful. Um, that's great that you're so, doing that. So. The area, if there's more match money available, the area that you'd want to 
step it up just a little bit even is putting the more money into that 401k where you work. Because okay. the advantage of that, the other things you might have read about, you probably read about something called the Roth, the Roth IRA. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's generally just about the best place to put money aside for the long term. But when mm-hmm. you have an employer match, that's the higher priority. Because that's okay. free money they're throwing in on the money that you sacrifice and you put in. I mean, you know, if you can pick up more free money, you talked about your savings that had earned like nothing in all those years. Think Mm -hmm. about if you were to uh, pinch your check a little bit more, even if it meant you had to pull some money out of savings, and every dollar you put in the 401k through work, you're getting $1.20 because of the employer match. That's a 20% instant return on the money that you put in there. Versus the money you have idle that's earning basically 0.0. Right. Okay. So in your your situation, go talk to human resources or whoever, personnel, or whoever it is you talk to. And the, Mm -hmm. the goal, the target, should be to, as you can afford to over time, to increase the savings in that 401k up to where you've grabbed all the match money they'll throw your way. Okay. And so I'd start there, and if you find out you've already sealed on the match, that you've gotten all the money that you could, then that would be where you start looking at with some of the savings you have, opening your own Roth IRA. Okay. Because the Roth IRA would be the opposite of that 401k. That 401k... You're getting a tax break up front, but everything in that account will be taxed ultimately when you spend it in retirement. With the Roth, it's the opposite. You get no tax break now, but whatever money you put in it will be yours to spend tax-free later on. And if you look, I don't know if you've seen, Michelle, I've got a guide to a, a starter guide to investing. Go look at that at Clark.com. If you do decide to open the Roth, you should be able to open it. I try to make it as clear and concise as it could possibly be. You probably in 10 to 15 minutes' time could absorb what you need to there and get your Roth open and funded and not really feel like, ooh, is this the right thing? Am I? You wouldn't be worried. You'd know you were doing the right thing. David's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, David. Hey, Clark, how are you doing? Great, thank you. You are a Nissan Leaf driver. Um, yes, I am, actually, and uh, it's a great car. Uh, so let me tell you the deal. I bought it when they had a really good rebate on it and all that. I actually leased it for two years, and we're coming up on the end of the lease. Uh, at this point, the cars essentially cost me nothing because um, the... The um, government tax credits pretty much paid for the lease payments at this point. So I, I want to buy the car. Uh, the problem I'm having is it's worth on the open market probably $7,000, $7,500. And the residual is 15000 So question number one is, uh, do I, how do I go to them? What do I do? Do I just go to them and say, I'll give you $7,000? Exactly, exactly. Because they <laughs> uh, don't want your lease back. So you go to them and you offer them 
market value. And if Nissan tells you to get lost that it's 15000 or nothing, you say, I'm going to get lost. Here's your car back. And then Leafs, as you've seen, are widely available in the used vehicle market for six to $8,000, depending on the mileage and the year and the condition. And you just turn around and and buy another one, buy a used one, rather than have the one that you have known and driven for the two years. It'd be better if you could buy the one you have, David, because you know its history. You're the one who created that history. Right. So that's the other side of it. You always say when you buy a used car, get it checked out by a mechanic. But but where do you go to find a leaf mechanic? They don't. You don't do anything to them, as you know. There's there's essentially no maintenance on an electric car. Yeah, the only thing you would have a leaf checked out for, as best I can tell, is the remaining battery life. You know that meter on the right hand side where it shows right. filled empty. You'd want to check right. that. And the other thing is you'd want to have it checked out by a body shop to see if it had been in a wreck. Other than that, you'd be good to go. Because as long as the the battery has not degraded too much and it hadn't been in a wreck, it's just a matter of which color leaf you want to drive and buy ultra cheap. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, John. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Clark, and it's a pleasure to speak with you. been listening for a lot of years. Well, I'm glad for that. You have a question for me about real estate agents. Let's see if I'm of any use to you on that. Well, I have a sister that's uh, selling her home, and I noticed uh, in conversations with her that the seller and the buyer are, are the same realtor. And so I wondered if there were any caveats there, uh, you know, Wow, wait, 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 wait. So the agent is representing both the buyer in the transaction and the seller in the transaction, the same person? Yes. Oh, man, that makes me nervous. (laughs) And on, I I noticed, uh, I did see the paperwork, and there is a little box there. He's using a standard form. There is a little box that the buyer and seller can be the same, but it just... You know, it always it's like two people using the same attorney. It's uh, you don't hear of that very often. Yeah, I don't like that at all because uh-huh. because who are they really? There's always details with buying a house, and yes. who are they going to be there uh, being the advocate for if they're representing both buyer and seller? Yeah. Wow, I well, don't like that. I, yeah. Well, that, that's why, I, and I went on your your website, and I didn't really see it, and and then of course you can leave a, a request for. The but nobody's asked me part. what you're what you're asking me, John. Nobody's asked me about. Hey, would it be a good idea for both of us, <laughs> me as the buyer and somebody else as the seller, to use the same agent? Nobody's asked me that. That's why you don't see anything at Clark dot com yeah. because that's such an odd thing to do. Yeah. Well, there again, as I said, on the standard form, you know, standard real estate form that they're using. They have to I disclose, this yeah. little box. They could say that, yes, we're representing both parties. So, so has she already done. agreed to this, and now we're talking about it after they both the buyer and the seller have agreed to be represented by the same person? Yeah, it was on the proposal form. I didn't see it on the 
I, I didn't see her when she signed up with this real estate guy to be the her realtor for selling the property. I didn't see that paperwork. This is a, the uh, uh, proposal for a uh, earnest money and all that stuff. But she she has has it been properly executed or is it just still at the proposal stage? Well, it's kind of going forward, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So like what is. I recommend in a situation like this is that if anything comes up where she feels like she's not being looked after properly, the yes. right thing to do would be for her to go consult a real estate attorney. Okay. And Good. you don't have to buy a lot of time. You just say, here's the situation. Um, we're both being represented by the same agent as buyer and seller. But I don't know if this is fair to me, this particular issue. Right. And so she needs somebody who's in her corner representing her if anything were to become gray or foggy or questionable. Okay. Yeah. That makes good sense. All right. Well, that is uh, that is an odd thing that if you're ever thinking about thinking you're going to save money on real estate commissions by both working with the same agent, that is not money I'd want you to save. Thanks for listening to the Clark Howard Podcast. Download new episodes every Monday through Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. I'm Mick Garris. When it comes to horror, you might know me as a writer, producer, and director. But I also love making people open up. I'm getting together with the most fascinating people in fright filmmaking. I'm going to pick their brains and find out what they know. But if they've got any secrets they're determined to keep, I have ways of making them talk. Download new episodes of Postmortem with Mick Garris every other Wednesday at podcastone.com, the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe on iTunes. What we're learning about the Manchester bomber. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. The father of the alleged Manchester suicide bomber says his son didn't do it. We don't believe in killing innocents, he told the AP. But the father reportedly was a member of an al-Qaeda-backed group in Libya years ago. That, according to a former Libyan security official. Meanwhile, police have carried out raids on a block of apartments in Manchester. Witnesses say they heard explosions. Alan Kinsey was a neighbor of the alleged bomber. The actual family that had been there, I'd, I'd never really come across them in bad ways it was always even when I said hello he never seemed to speak back to you he was just like kept themselves to themselves and that was about it the British putting more military troops on the streets now as police say it's clear this is a network they're investigating President Trump has arrived in Brussels for NATO meetings after a visit this morning with the Pope at the Vatican I'm Rita Foley <laughs> 